Welcome to this podcast by The Rocks Church. We hope you find it challenging and inspiring. For more information, visit therocks.church. Fantastic. Well, good morning, good-looking people. How are we all today? (laughs) Thank you for that enthusiasm. Good to see you, man. Wonderful to see you, Mark. And I hope that you're glad uh, to be here today. Uh, It is a slightly chilly, um, sunny Sunday morning, but good to be together in here. Lots of warmth in this place. And what a privilege to have the time and the space to just come together, open up the Word of God, encourage each other, and uh, hear what God might want to say and do in our lives. And so if you are here today for the first time, let me just add my welcome and say it's great to have you here. Um, We certainly don't take it for granted that you would choose to spend part of your weekend with us. So just relax, make yourself at home, and uh, trust that you thoroughly enjoy your time with us. And as always, a big welcome to everyone joining us online, all our uh, friends and family from various parts of the city, the country, and the world. All right, well, if you missed out on our introduction to the series last week, the good news is you can catch up online. Just head to The Rock's uh, YouTube channel, and you'll get part one from Pastor D. It's well worth a listen. But really, at the heart of this series, we're saying that of all the wonderful gifts that God has given us, and He's given us many wonderful gifts, things like the Bible and church and even the gift of our own salvation, of all the wonderful gifts that God has given us, without doubt, the best gift is the gift of Himself, the gift of his own person, the gift of his very presence. And that gift is made possible by the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Make no mistake about it, the Bible is a wonderful gift from God, but it's not a substitute for God. Church is a wonderful gift from God, but it's not a substitute for God. At the end of the day, the greatest gift that God has given the world is the gift of his presence, the gift of his own presence person. And Jesus, of course, promised that this gift would be given uh, all the way back in John 14, reading from verse 16 to 18. This is Jesus speaking just prior to his crucifixion. And he said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you a helper, um, a comforter, an encourager, an advocate. Uh, The Greek word there is parakletos, and it just literally means one who comes alongside to support. And so all of those particular translations are uh, applicable. I will pray and ask the Father to give you a helper to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you, and I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So here Jesus, knowing that His disciples were about to experience all the confusion and disorientation that would come with His crucifixion and then His resurrection and His ascension back to the Father, wanted to give them assurance and and comfort. And so He said to them, listen, it's actually to your advantage that I go away, because if I go away, then the Spirit can come. And if the Spirit comes, then not only can I be with you, but I can be in you, and I can be in all of you all of the time. You see, when Jesus was just here in His physical form, He could only ever be in one place at once. But by ascending back to the Father and sending the Holy Spirit, it was possible for Him to take up residence inside every single one of His disciples. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, the truth of the matter is you are never alone. Doesn't matter where you are in the world, doesn't matter what circumstances going on around you, doesn't matter what life is throwing at you, you are never alone. You have a permanent abiding source of wisdom, strength, courage, 
provision, protection that is with you every moment of every day. And let me tell you, that realization alone will revolutionize your life when the implication settles on your heart. So he is with you and he is in you. And of course, at the very heart of Christian faith is this kind of experiential and relational connection to the living God that is made possible by the Holy Spirit. I really want to underscore that this morning because we cannot reduce New Testament Christianity down to just being a theology or being an ideology or being a philosophy or being commitment to a certain statement of faith or allegiance to a particular creed. At the very heart of Christian faith is a personal, experiential, relational connection to the living God. The God who created you and brought you into being. The God who gives you life. And at the end of the day, every human heart longs for that connection. Every human heart longs to know God in that kind of personal, experiential, and relational way. Um, I remember once I was invited to preach at a church for a friend of mine um, who pastors and leads this particular church. And he invited me to preach across the whole weekend. So they have four services, one on a Saturday night, two on a Sunday morning, one on a Sunday night. And I was preaching on the Saturday evening and just sharing a fairly simple message about the love of God. And uh, at this particular church, it's their custom at the end of every single message to have what they call a response moment where they invite people to kind of put their faith and trust in Jesus by raising a hand and being prayed for. We do the same from time to time here at the Rocks. And so he asked me, would you be willing to do that? I said, absolutely. So got to the end of the message, was facilitating this like response moment, inviting people to just raise their hands to indicate whether or not they wanted me to pray for them as they you know, entrust their lives to Jesus. And uh, so hands are going up, and, and I was just about to pray for these people. And I sensed the Spirit of God speak to my heart and say to me, there, there's, a, there's someone here tonight by the name of Jennifer, and she wants to reach out to God right now in this moment, but she feels afraid, and I just want you to invite her, just personally call her and assure her that um, this moment is for her as well. And so I was just so certain that I'd heard from God, I just kind of blurted it out, Blah, right? Just said right there in the middle of the response moment, <laughs> right? Um, I just sensed God saying right now, there's someone here by the name of Jennifer, and um, if you uh, are feeling overwhelmed and afraid and, and you, you reluctant to put up your hand, you just need to know God loves you and this moment is for you. So go ahead and slip up your hand and I'll pray for you too. And I looked across the auditorium expecting another hand to go up. And I'm like, Jennifer, Jennifer, <laughs> where are you? <laughs> no hand, right? Now you can imagine how, how awkward it suddenly got, right? Crickets everywhere. And uh, in a moment like that, you know, everything inside of you wants to go like, well, uh, does anyone here have a friend called Jennifer, right? Does anybody have a pet dog called Jennifer? Um, but of course, no hands, no Jennifer. So I thought, all right, that's unusual. So I said, all right, just disregard that. Let's keep going. And, and uh, I'll just continue to pray for those who responded. And I did, and no doubt God met them wonderfully. And I went home that night and I was a little unsure, like I was so certain that I'd heard from God. And uh, the next morning, um, arrived at church, preached the nine o'clock service, and in between the nine and the 11, I was standing down at the front of the auditorium in front of the stage. And a man came up to me and he said, uh, can I chat to you? I said, sure. He said, uh, look, I've got a daughter. She's 16 years old and her name's Jennifer. And she was in the service last night and she wanted to respond in that decision moment and she was afraid and she was reluctant to kind of raise her hand and then you went ahead and said what you said and she was absolutely terrified 
<laughs> she was petrified. And so she came home from church and she was crying and she said, Dad, I know that that was my moment. I was supposed to raise my hand and say yes to God. And she said, I'm, I'm, I'm so kind of heartbroken about this. Can I, can I go back? And so he said, she's sitting outside right now in the car and uh, she wants to know, is it too late? Like, can she still be prayed for? Can she come in? So I said, yeah, of course, man, go fetch her. So he went out and he fetched his daughter and he brought her back in and uh, little Jennifer walked in, you know, like a deer in the headlights and uh, came down to the front and I could have a chat with her and we prayed together and she submitted and surrendered her life to Jesus, you see. And friends, what was so amazing about that moment is for the first time in her life, she realized that God is not an idea. God's not a philosophy. He's not an ideology. God is a living being. And he sees her and he knows her and he knows what she's thinking and he knows what she's feeling. And she was confronted, right, by the reality of that. And it is confronting to realize that. But it's also incredibly liberating. And every single human heart longs for the reality of God like that. The reality of his knowledge, the reality of his presence, the, the reality of his goodness in our lives. And so the Holy Spirit is here to make that reality our experience. So if the Holy Spirit is in us, and he is, and if the Holy Spirit wants to make the presence and power of God a reality in our lives, and He does, the question is, how do we live our everyday lives in a way that ensures we are open to the reality of God's presence, that we're sensitive to the leadings and promptings of the Holy Spirit, that we are aligned with Him, that we are in sync with Him. And in fact, throughout the New Testament, uh, the writers of the New Testament use phrases like walking in the Spirit or keeping in step with the Spirit, or sowing to the Spirit. These are phrases they use to try and describe the dynamic that I'm speaking about this morning. This idea of being aligned with the Holy Spirit, in harmony with the Holy Spirit, submitted and surrendered to the Holy Spirit, and receptive to what it is He might want to say and do in and through our lives. So how do we walk in the Spirit? And in a lot of ways, it's kind of like ballroom dancing. I don't know if any of you have ever done ballroom dancing or you've at least seen it done. Um, it's a really beautiful and wonderful thing to behold. It's an even better thing to experience. But in ballroom dancing, you always have one partner who leads and the other who follows. Now, in classical ballroom, it's usually the guy who leads and the woman who follows, but it doesn't have to be that way. And uh, they dance together and they move together to the rhythm of the music and they follow a certain pattern and a, a certain kind of a series of steps, but he leads and she follows. And in a lot of ways, walking in the Spirit is kind of like doing the dance of life in harmony and in synchronicity with the Spirit of God and allowing God to lead you and to guide you, and to steer you according to the kind of rhythm of His grace, and it's you following Him, right? And so the question is, if God is inviting us into that dance, if He's inviting us into that experience, how do we ensure that our hearts are aligned to Him, open to Him, in step with Him, so that we can follow His lead, so that the benefit and the blessing of having the Spirit of God in our lives is not only felt by us, but felt by those around us who need to be on the receiving end of that blessing and that benefit too. So the New Testament encourages us toward five very particular habits that if we embrace and cultivate, will position our hearts to be aligned to the Spirit of God and sensitive to the Spirit of God. And so I just want to share those five habits with you this morning, throw the spotlight on them, say a little bit about each, and then hopefully take 
these and employ them and embed them in our lives and uh, see the difference that it makes. All right, so here they are. Number one, if you are taking notes, jot these down. And if you're not, do your best to commit them to memory. And uh, this week you can take them and apply them to your life and just watch the difference that it makes. All right, number one, the first kind of habit to cultivate if you're going to be actively pursuing this phenomenon of walking in the Spirit is set your mind on the things of the Spirit. All right, set your mind on the things of the Spirit. In other words, choose carefully and deliberately where you direct your thoughts because where you direct your thoughts will determine whether or not you will be in step with the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 5. He says, those who live according to the flesh have set their minds on what the flesh desires. But those who live according to the Spirit have set their minds on what the Spirit desires. So notice Paul says here that we live every single day in a tension. That's the tension created by the flesh on the one hand and the Spirit on the other. Now, the flesh here, as Paul is using it in Romans 8, refers to the disordered and corrupted desires of the human nature that drive us toward various forms of selfishness. So self-indulgence, self-justification, self-preservation, self-aggrandizement, self-righteousness, like every form of selfishness. Right? Every single human heart has been corrupted by the presence of sin, and consequently, every human nature is filled with corrupted and distorted desires that want to drive us towards selfishness, often at the expense of other people. On the other side, though, you have the Spirit of God who has taken up residence inside of you, and the Spirit of God wants to lead you toward righteousness and godliness and holiness and goodness and selflessness. And so we find ourselves caught every single day in the tension between those drives and those desires. Now, you know what that tension feels like because you deal with it every day. I know what that tension feels like because I deal with it every day. But notice that Paul says here, what will determine who gets the ascendancy in your life, your flesh or the spirit, depends on what you do with your mind. Your thought life is the swing vote that will determine who gets ascendancy in your life. Will it be your flesh or will it be the Spirit? It's kind of like in politics. You know that when you have, say, 20 senators who are voting for a bill and 20 senators who are voting against a bill, if you have one independent senator in the middle who gets to decide whether or not this bill passes, that, that is a lot of power for one person to have. right? And that's what Paul's saying. Your mind has a lot of power because your mind holds the swing vote. And your mind and what you do with your thought life is going to determine whether or not your flesh has ascendancy or whether or not the Spirit has ascendancy in your life. So you've got to stop and ask yourself the question, what am I giving my thought life to most of the day? What do I spend my time thinking about the most? Do you spend all your time thinking about what's for lunch? <laughs> do you spend all your time thinking about how smoking hot Chris Hemsworth is in Thor, Love and Thunder? Right? Do you, do you, spend, you laugh very loud. I hope you're not thinking that, Pastor D. All right, do you spend your time thinking about uh, your neighbor's wife? Do you spend all your time thinking about all the trauma and, and all the drama that's going on in our world right now? War in Europe, the prospect of nuclear fallout, rising cost of living, rising inflation, declining stock market values, plummeting cryptocurrencies. 
Like I guarantee if you spend all your time every day thinking about all those realities, very quickly your heart's going to be overwhelmed with fear and anxiety and worry, and you're going to find the flesh having ascendancy in your life. But if you intentionally interrupt that cycle of rumination and you direct your thoughts towards the things of God, you will interrupt that and you will give the Spirit ascendancy in your life. And it's honestly not hard to do. You can like just turn on a worship song and spend 10 or 15 minutes worshiping God. Just open up your Bible. Just go to, go to the Gospels. Go to something Jesus said and spend 10 or 15 minutes just meditating on what Jesus said and ask yourself the question, what is Jesus trying to tell me here through His Word? What is He trying to teach me? Uh, you can start a conversation with someone. Just turn to someone who's a friend, a follower of Jesus and say, hey, this week I was uh, reading X, Y, Z in the Psalms and I was wondering what David kind of meant by what he said. I don't know if you've ever read that particular Psalm, but what do you reckon it means? And just start a conversation about the revelation of God in the, in the Word of God. You can do it by praying, right? Just go into your office or go into your bedroom, close the door behind you and just take 10 or 15 minutes to direct your thoughts towards God and pray back the Scriptures to God. God, thank you so much that you said you will never leave me and you will never forsake me. God, thank you so much that you said all things work together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Thank you, God, that you said when the enemy comes in like a flood, you'll raise up a standard against him. Thank you that you said no weapon formed against me will prosper. Thank you, God, that neither height nor depth nor angels nor demons nor things present nor things to come, nothing in all of creation can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And just spend 10 or 15 minutes praying the Word of God back to Him, right? What are you doing? You're changing gears on your thought life, and you're taking your mind and moving it from the flesh to the Spirit. And when you do that, you come into line with the Spirit. You come into sync with the Spirit, and you harmonize with the Spirit, right? So that's the first thing. Number one, set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right, number two. Second thing is, if we're going to actively pursue walking in the Spirit, then we need to pray in the power of the Spirit. Pray in the power of the Spirit. Now, this little phrase, uh, pray in the Spirit, is an interesting phrase because it's used in a multiplicity of ways in the New Testament. Firstly, it can refer to the phenomenon of praying in tongues. That's certainly how Paul uses it when he refers to praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues. Now, if you're new to Christianity or maybe just hearing that phrase for the first time, you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, praying in what? Right? Let me just explain what I mean by that. Praying in tongues just simply means to pray in another language. That's what the word tongues means, language. But it's praying in a language that you did not learn naturally. In other words, the Bible teaches us that when the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of you, there is a possibility that exists that you can be empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak or pray in a language that you did not learn naturally. That language can be a natural language or a spiritual language. It can be a language of men or a language of angels. It can be an earthly language or a heavenly language. For instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, when Paul's talking about the virtue and value of love, he says, If I speak with the tongues of men or of angels, but have not love, I'm nothing. I'm like a clanging cymbal, like a, like a, a, a clanging bell. Right? But notice the distinction he makes there. He says, I can speak in tongues of men, or I can speak in tongues of angels. I can speak natural languages, or I can speak spiritual languages. I can speak languages of earth, or languages of heaven. 
And so when you are empowered by the Holy Spirit, when He's present inside of you, that possibility exists that you might be able to pray in a language that you did not learn to speak naturally. We see it in Acts chapter 2. We see it in Acts chapter 4. We see it in multiple instances throughout the New Testament. Okay? And this is kind of how the phenomenon works. Let me try and demystify it for a moment because it is one of those unique spiritual phenomena that, are, that can be quite subjective and a little mysterious. So let me try and explain how it works. The best way to describe it is uh, when this phenomenon happens, it's like the Holy Spirit infuses your mind with words. But these are words that you do not understand because they belong to a language that you have not learned. So they don't make sense to you. And then as you feel moved and inspired by the Holy Spirit, you speak out those words in conversation with God. You articulate them. You express them. In other words, you move your lips. You move your tongue. You move your mouth. You articulate the words. And when you do so, your spirit communicates with God's spirit. So Paul says it's a very good thing to pray in the spirit, to pray in tongues, because when you do, you strengthen and edify yourself. It has this encouraging, strengthening effect on your spirit. Now, your mind is unfruitful. Your mind's not engaged because you don't understand what you're saying because these are words that you have not learned, words that belong to a language you have not studied. Um, but nevertheless, it's a good thing because it's an edifying thing. It's an encouraging thing. And so Paul encourages us to do it. In fact, he says, geez, I wish you all prayed in tongues. I wish you all spoke in tongues because it's such a good and edifying thing to do. So that's what the phenomenon feels like. So at no point, right, is God the Holy Spirit ever going to take over your mind and body to the extent that you are out of control, right? It's not like, you know, in those horror movies when you see somebody being possessed by an evil spirit and they're like completely out of control, right? It's not like that. In fact, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is self-control. So when the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, your self-control goes up, not down, right? So the Holy Spirit is never going to possess your mind and body in a way that you are outside of your own control. You are always in control. It is you who speaks. It is you who moves your mouth. It is you who moves your lips. It's the Holy Spirit who gives you the words to say. That's how the phenomenon works, right? And it's a beautiful and a powerful thing. But here's the point. You do not have to pray in tongues in order to pray in the Spirit. Because the phrase, pray in the Spirit, is used to refer to other kinds of prayer as well. So listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 6 verse 18. He says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Paul's saying here, it doesn't matter if you're praying privately alone or praying collectively in a group. Doesn't matter if you pray out loud or pray in your mind. Doesn't matter if you pray in tongues or pray in the mother tongue that you learned to speak naturally. Whenever you pray, you can pray in the power of the Spirit. And praying in the Spirit just simply means being open to the Spirit's guidance concerning what you pray and how you pray. It means praying more than just your own intellect, praying more than just your own thoughts. It means allowing God to direct and instruct how you pray and, and the way in which you pray. In fact, just this week, um, I was just going about my day, doing my work, minding my own business, and out of the blue, God just dropped into my mind somebody who's a good friend of mine who lives in South Australia who I have not seen for about three years. And as he came to mind, I just felt my heart um, kind of become overwhelmed with a burden for him. And I felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to pray. 
and to pray just some very specific things. And so I spent about 15, 20 minutes just praying for him. And then when I'd finished praying, I texted him and I said, hey, mate, just want to let you know. I just want to encourage you. I just felt so burdened to pray for you today. And this is what I felt like God said. And this is what I felt to pray for. And he texted me back and he said, mate, you have no idea how encouraging that is. Because that is exactly what I'm going through right now. And that's what I needed to hear. And I thought, well, how encouraging is that, right? Now, I didn't have to text him. I could have just prayed that prayer and it would have been effective. But I know it's incredibly encouraging and edifying when somebody hears you are on God's heart. You are on God's mind. God sees you. He knows what you're going through. He's got your back, right? It's incredibly edifying. And so I just texted him a message of encouragement to say, hey, God sees what you're going through right now, and he's got you covered. So take heart. Take courage, all right? Just allow the Holy Spirit to lead you as you pray. Um, I remember praying for a woman who came down to the front to be prayed for, and uh, I could see as she was coming forward, she had a very kind of um, harsh look on her face. Like, I could see she was unhappy, like she was angry and upset. And she came down to the front, and I uh, introduced myself, and I said, what can I pray for for you? And she said, uh, just pray, just pray, right? Closed eyes. I thought, oh, here we go. <laughs> so, uh, so I just began to pray, and I just prayed out of my intellect, just, you know, prayed you know, all the things I thought to pray. You just run through the whole list and try and cover all the bases, right? So I'm praying for her. And while I'm praying, I sense the Holy Spirit say to me, um, ask her if she's married. So I'm, I kind of open one eye, I look down at her hand. She's got a wedding ring on, on her finger. So I go, yes, Lord, she's married. <laughs> so then I feel like this rebuke, like it was like the Holy Spirit rebuked me, like he kind of wrapped me over the fingers. He said, no, I told you, ask her if she's married. So I stopped and I said to her, do you mind if I ask you a question? I just want to know, are you married? And she looked at me a little stunned and just burst into tears and began to sob for about three or four minutes. And after three or four minutes, she settled down and I said, all right, tell me what's going on. She said, "Uh, well, I kind of technically am still married, but I just found out two weeks ago that my husband is having an affair with a lady at work and my marriage is just coming apart at the seams. I thought, wow, okay. So I was able to then speak into her life and give her some encouragement from the Word of God and pray very specifically into that situation. And in that moment, she knew, she knew, she knew that God knew her circumstance and knew her situation and that He was with her and that He was for her, right? That's praying in the power of the Holy Spirit, just allowing God to direct how you pray and when you pray and for whom you pray, being open and attentive to that leading. All right, and that leads really nicely into number three, the third habit that uh, we ought to cultivate if we're going to be in sync with the Holy Spirit. And number three is obey the promptings and leadings of the Spirit. Obey the promptings and leadings of the Holy Spirit. You see, the wonderful thing about uh, being a follower of Jesus is that God wants to outwork His plan and His purpose in this world through you and through me. God works through ordinary people in extraordinary ways. But in order to do that, we have to be willing to trust and obey. We have to be willing to say what He tells us to say and go where He tells us to go and do what He encourages us to do. Um, and the Holy Spirit kind of prompts us and leads us to that end. Now, I love what um, Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 to 21. He says, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. 
Right here, Peter is telling us that the only reason we have the Scriptures is because the, these men of old who were um, chosen by God to speak and to write were moved and inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak and to write certain things, and they trusted and they obeyed and they did. And when they wrote and spoke what God told them to, it ended up in our Scriptures. So, so God wants to work through people, but it requires that those people are willing to trust and obey and say what God says, and do what God requires us to do. Um, I've got a very good friend who's a, a professor of New Testament theology at a Christian university in America. And he was telling me the other day he had a, an amazing experience. He was sitting in his office um, on campus where he teaches, and he just felt uh, really strongly prompted by the Holy Spirit to get up, to get in his car, and to drive into the city to a particular street. And so he got to the street, and he parked his car, and he got out, and he kind of expected that he might bump into someone he knows or that he might get some instruction from God about what to do next. And so he just stood there on the corner of the street and nothing, just no, no prompting, no leading, no recognition. So he walked up the street, he walked down the street, he hung around for about 20 minutes, and then he thought, well, that's strange, got back in his car, drove back to the campus. Well, he said the next day, one of his students came in to see him, a lady, and she said, can I, can I sit down and have a conversation with you? He said, sure, go ahead. She said, uh, I've got something I need to get off my chest. And she began to cry. He said, what's going on? She said, I need to confess something. He said, what is it? She said, um, I've been having an affair. And I've been seeing someone else other than my husband. And yesterday, I was sitting in the car of the man that I'm having the affair with in the passenger seat. And we were parked at the side of this particular street that he felt prompted to go to. And she said, I saw you arrive, and I saw you get out of your car. I saw you walk up and down the street, and I felt overcome with the conviction of the Holy Spirit. She said, I kind of sunk down into the, into the seat so that you couldn't see me when you kind of walked past. But she said, I saw you and felt so convicted by God that I need to confess, and I need to deal with this, and I need to repent, and I need to get it out. And she sat there in his office, and she just put it all out on the table, and he was able to counsel her and pray for her and help her. See, friends, the point is you just never know. You never know what God is up to. You never know what it is that God is trying to achieve, what it is that He wants to do. But you just have to be willing to trust and obey. Now, I know you're probably sitting there thinking to yourself, but how do you know? <laughs> how do you know when it's God and not too much cheese on your pizza? Like, how do you know when the Holy Spirit is nudging you and prompting you to say something? There's no doubt that it, it's, there's a little bit of trial and error, and it comes with time and experience and practice. But I have found this to be true, that more often than not, when it is the Holy Spirit, it cuts right across the grain of my pride, my self-interest, my desire to protect my convenience and my comfort and my reputation. Um, very often, that's the Holy Spirit. In other words, if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, mm, I think the Holy Spirit is telling me to have that third slice of chocolate cake, it's probably not the Holy Spirit. Right? That's probably your flesh, because that's exactly what your flesh wants. Okay? But if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, gee, I, I got the sense that God might be telling me to get up and go give that stranger $1,000, that's probably the Holy Spirit, because right? that's the last thing your flesh wants to do. Okay? So I found very often, if, if there's a, a reluctance or a hesitance in me because it's going to cut across the grain of my pride or my self-concern or my self-interest, that's very often the Holy Spirit, and I need to pay attention, and I need to listen. Okay? Just the other day, I was sitting in Health Free Cafe up in Joondalup, and uh, waiting for a friend. We were going to do coffee together, and while I was sitting there, I looked up, and there was a little old lady sitting about maybe three tables away from me, and just instantly felt the Holy Spirit say, I want you to get up and go offer to pray for her. 
And so I thought, okay, got up, walked across, sat down. I said to um, sorry, I don't want you to think I'm strange. I'm a pastor here in the city. And I uh, was sitting there and just felt God impressed on my heart to come over and offer to pray for you. Would you be okay if I pray for you? And she just began to cry, a little tears welled up in her eyes. She said, that'd be wonderful. She said, uh, I'm actually sitting here all alone because recently my husband passed away and just feeling really sad and feeling really lonely. And I thought, wow, what a beautiful thing for God to do, to just see her in her solitude and in her sorrow and to just say, I see you. I see you and I know you. And you're not alone, right? And God wants to encourage people. He wants to love people. But in order to do that, he needs you and he needs me to be willing to say, yes, God, here I am. Send me. All right, we're near the end. Last two. Number four, we can walk in the Spirit by honoring and respecting the presence of the Holy Spirit. Um, by this, I mean be grateful for the Holy Spirit. Um, be acknowledging of the Holy Spirit. I like what Paul says in Ephesians 4 verse 30. He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I think we grieve the Holy Spirit when we ignore him. I think we grieve the Holy Spirit when we live our lives disregarding him. I think we grieve the Holy Spirit when we live as though he's not even there. Um, I think we grieve the Holy Spirit when we disobey him, when we give our thought life to the flesh, when we uh, give ourselves to self-indulgence and to self-serving interests. I, I believe we grieve the Holy Spirit when we don't acknowledge His presence and His will in our lives. And if we just take the time to acknowledge Him, to worship Him, to express our appreciation to Him, and to be sensitive to Him, we can honor and respect His presence in our lives. And then fifthly and finally, we can actively walk in the Spirit by being continually filled with the Spirit. Uh, in Ephesians 5, verse 18 to 20, Paul says, Do not get drunk on wine. That's a word from God for someone here today. Right? Write it down. It's the word of the Lord to you. <laughs> Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, he says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. And here in this particular verse of Scripture, that particular statement, be filled with the Holy Spirit, is in the continuous present tense. In other words, it's, it's be being filled. Be filled and be filled again. Be filled and be filled again. And you know, the truth of the matter is when you became a follower of Jesus, God gave you His whole Holy Spirit. God did not give you a part of the Spirit or a fraction of the Spirit or only half the Spirit. God gave you all of His Spirit. He held nothing back from you. But the question is, does He have all of you? Is every part of your life submitted and surrendered to the influence of the Holy Spirit? Or is there some part of your life, some part of your existence that you have kind of closed off to God? Is there a room, a special secret room in the house of your life that God gets no access to? Is there a part of who you are that you have held back from God? And I don't know what that part might be. It might be your thought life. It might be your relationships. It might be a key relationship in your life. It could be the area of your finance. It could be the area of your sexuality. There could be something about you that you have said to God, God, you can have influence over everything else, but not this. And friends, to be filled with the Spirit just simply means to be completely and utterly 
surrendered and submitted in all that you are and all that you have to the influence of the Holy Spirit, to His leadership and His guidance. And His invitation to you in moments like this is to ask yourself the question, God, is there anything that I need to submit and surrender to you? Will you shine the searchlight of your truth into my life? And will you highlight any particular part of me that is not fully submitted and surrendered to you? And then the invitation of God is to open up that area of your life and allow Him to come in and to have lordship and leadership in that area. And Paul's very clear here about what happens when you do. There's an overflow. There's an overflow of worship. There's an overflow of peace. There's an overflow of life and of freedom. It's such a wonderful thing. And I love the fact that Paul says this experience of being filled with the Spirit happens very often in the context of worship. It's very often in the context of our coming together like this to join our hearts and our voices in singing to God and in singing to one another that the Holy Spirit fills us. That's why I think it's brilliant that tonight at 5 o'clock there's an hour plus of dedicated worship time for you to come and just immerse yourself in the presence of God and open your heart to God and say, God, fill me and fill every part of me. Wow, what a gift. And so I want to encourage you, if you can, to come back tonight at 5 o'clock. It's going to be a phenomenal night. So many wonderful things going to be happening. Baptisms. It's going to be an awesome celebration. And I guarantee you, you come in the open and receptive heart, and you are going to be filled with the Spirit of God in a wonderful, fresh, new way. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more great resources and to keep yourself up to date, head to our website. Visit therocks.church.